Welcome to another episode of the Biblia Sacra podcast, a podcast that exists to help you become a better reader of scripture and to wrestle with the strange parts of the Bible. My name is Jeff. I'm a master's student at Duke Divinity School, and I'm glad you're here. Hey friends, Jeff here. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Biblia Sacra podcast. If you're here and listening, I'm grateful that we get to be a part of your day whenever that is. And today's podcast is being recorded the night before Easter. And the hope is that you would listen to it on Easter because it's going to be about Easter. And you haven't heard from me since the coronavirus, since COVID-19 has sprung up throughout literally all of creation, all of the world. And I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that and just acknowledge the hard season that we're all in. A season that's just wrought with uncertainty and a little little bit of fear and probably some anxiety. And what's just really a hard time for a lot of us, me included. And I think it's safe to say that all of us need a little bit of hope to cling to. That we might even be able to say that we need to be taught how to hope again. And we need someone to teach us how to hope And I think we can do that, and I think y'all can learn alongside me about what it would look like to hope in resurrection and putting ourselves in the shoes of Jesus' first disciples and exploring what the first Easter might have looked like in the first century in 33 or 30 AD, whenever you want to date Jesus' death and resurrection. Because I think the first Easter looked a lot different from what our Easter's normally look like. Our Easter's are normally really colorful. There are a lot of flowers. There are a lot of nice dresses. A lot of men wear seersucker. And it's it's a joyous and happy occasion, and it ought to be, because we're celebrating our Lord's resurrection. But I don't think that's what the first Easter was like. In fact, I think that the first Easter was very, very much unlike that. And so we're going to explore what it might look like to hope in the midst of darkness and in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of hard and trying times by putting ourselves in the shoes of the first disciples and exploring what the first Easter might have looked like. And to do that, we're going to look at our earliest account of the resurrection, which is preserved in Mark's gospel. So there aren't many consensuses consensuses, I don't even know how you say that, um, in New Testament scholarship, but what might be called Mark in priority meaning that Mark was the first gospel out of all four that we have in the New Testament, is near about a consensus in New Testament scholarship. I agree with most New Testament scholars in in saying that Mark was probably our earliest gospel, and so it contains our earliest account of the resurrection, and I think it contains the most interesting account of the resurrection, and maybe even the most profound, the deepest and the most thoughtful reflection on the resurrection. And and you might be surprised at me saying that because it's the shortest. And when I say the shortest, you too might be surprised at me saying that because there is a longer ending to Mark's gospel that I don't think was original to the gospel. So if if you flip open to the end of Mark's gospel and you look at Mark chapter 16, most good translations will have anything after Mark chapter 16, verse 8, in brackets. And there'll probably be an asterisk somewhere saying that our earliest manuscripts don't have evidence for those verses, meaning our earliest and best manuscripts, the manuscripts closest to the original Mark, don't have the material after Mark, chapter 16, verse 8. 
which means we don't think it was there. We think Mark's gospel ended in Mark 16, 8, which is very significant because we're going to look at Mark 16, 8 in just a second, and it's a very unusual way to end the story. But I think it's a theologically significant way to end the story because I, I think Mark has done it intentionally, and he's done it intentionally to teach us how it is that we can hope when the story is unfinished. He has ended the story that he's written about Jesus in such a way to teach us how to hope in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of darkness, and in the midst of intense suffering and anxiety. So let's take a look at Mark's account of the resurrection And let's keep in mind the entire story that he's written about Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done this, but a really cool way to read the Gospels is to start at the beginning of a Gospel. To sit down, get a cup of tea, get a coffee, get an IPA, get whatever it is that your choice of beverage is, and read the Gospel from beginning to end, whatever Gospel it is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, to read it from beginning to end, and to enter into the story it is that the evangelist has written about Jesus. And once you read it again, you should read it again from beginning to end. And once you've done it a second time, you should do it a third time and a fourth time and so on and so on and so on until the story becomes a part of who it is that you are. But you don't actually have to do that. That was a little bit hyperbolic. But I want you to keep in mind the story in its entirety that Mark has written about Jesus and how what we're about to read is the climactic fulfillment of all that it is that Mark has written about Jesus thus far. And that this is, for some reason, the way in which he chose to end the story that he wrote about Jesus. And he did that for a specific theological purpose. So let's read Mark's account of the resurrection. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And listen to this, because this is the way in which Mark decided to end the story that he's written about Jesus. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that's it. That is how Mark decided to end his story about Jesus, according to the best evidence that we have and according to the best manuscripts that we have of Mark's gospel in Greek. And I think it begs the question, what the heck, Mark? What could you be telling us and what could you be trying to tell us by ending your story in this way? And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. 
And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You see, friends, this is what the first Easter looked like. Fear and trembling and an unfinished story. Uncertainty and anxiety about the future, but a certain and unshakable hope in the midst of that uncertainty. A hope which they dare not open their mouths to speak of, because if they tried to, they would not do justice to it. I think there are three reasons why Mark ended the gospel, the story that he's written about Jesus in the way that he did. And I think the first one is this. We have to remember how it was that Mark began the story that he's written about Jesus. And he titled it, The Beginning of the Gospel of Jesus the Messiah. And so he clearly denotes a beginning in the story that he's written about Jesus. But he clearly does not denote an ending to the story that he's written about Jesus. it The ending is just insufficient by any sort of literary standard. The story doesn't have an ending. Mark 16, 8 is not a sufficient conclusion to the story that Mark's written about Jesus. And that has led a lot of New Testament scholars to suggest that we've actually lost the genuine ending of Mark 16, 8 that we don't have it, that it somehow was torn from the gospel at some point in its history of transmission. So with the history of it being copied, at some point, the ending of the gospel was separated from the rest of the gospel and we lost it. But there's just not any evidence for that. There's no what we would call text-critical evidence for that in any of our manuscript evidence. So what we have is the ending, and it's definitely not an ending. And I think that's a theological point that Mark is making is that the story that Mark's written about Jesus, it had a beginning, but he didn't give it an ending because it's the same story in which we're living. And it's in that story, it's in that very real and tangible story, the story that we're living in right now, in which Jesus was resurrected and in which we too will be resurrected and have this certain hope of resurrection because of Jesus being resurrected from the dead and his being the first fruits being raised from the dead. And so I think that's what Mark has has done. That's the first thing that Mark has done in ending the story that he's written about Jesus in the way that he did because he didn't give it a sufficient ending because it doesn't have one because it's the same story that we're living in right now. And the second point relates to the women's silence because it begs the question. Mark tells us that the women went away and they said nothing to no one. They said nothing to anyone. That begs the question, well, then how is it that we know anything about the resurrection? And how is it that anyone knows about the resurrection? The women couldn't have been silent. They had to have told someone because we know about the resurrection. So then that begs the question, what is, what is Mark up to when he tells us that the women said nothing to no one? Why is it that he said that? And I think it serves a literary purpose within the story that he's written about Jesus and a theological purpose in understanding how it is that we know what we know and in articulating how it is that we ought to relate to the resurrection of Jesus and how it is that we ought to sit still before the resurrection of Jesus and let it know us rather than attempting to know it. And I want to explain what I mean by that. In the resurrection, Mary, Mary Magdalene, have encountered a mystery so deep that it is unutterable. 
they are entirely unable to speak of it. And if they were to speak of it, if they were to speak aloud the truth, the truth, in a sense, would become untruth. Their words would not do justice to it. And I think that that is what Mark is getting at. And that's consistent with another theme that runs through all of Mark's story and how it is that we know what we know and how it is that God's revelation to us works. Because Mark seems to have discovered a truth that is so deep and so profound, he dare not utter it aloud. He dare not speak it plainly so that all might understand because it's so dangerous. And, and that story and that mystery is deeply related to who it is that Jesus is in the Markan story. And he is the God of Israel in the flesh, the one who even the wind and the waves obey. And Mark has discovered this, but he dare not say it plainly. It's actually and paradoxically in the hiddenness of this revelation where we grasp the truth of who it is that Jesus is. And so the hiddenness of who it is that Jesus is and the hiddenness of the mystery of the kingdom of God is actually a means through which we come to understand what it is and who it is that is the mystery of the kingdom of God. And I know that sounds like a riddle. It sounds like an absolute riddle. But there's a significant analogy to all of this that Martin Luther picked up on in his preface to his German translation of the New Testament. And Richard Hayes talks about this in one of his books. And that analogy is this. It's the analogy of the baby Jesus in the manger. And God incarnate and fleshed in a baby boy wrapped in fabric that's keeping him warm. And the truth of who it is that God is, the creator God of the universe in that manger, was in a sense hidden in the manger, wrapped in the clothes of an infant boy. But it was precisely in the hiddenness of that revelation that the fullness of the revelation was present. And to unwrap the baby Jesus in the manger would be, in a sense, to undo the means through which the God of the universe had decided to reveal himself to all of creation. And so Mark wants us to hold still as we encounter the resurrection. He wants us to be known by it rather than trying to know it. He wants us to be defined by it rather than trying to define it. And that's the whole point of the women's silence at the end of the story. And that's why I think Mark has decided to end the story in the strangest way possible, in the silence of the first witnesses of the resurrection. Because whatever words they would utter to articulate the truth of what it was that they encountered would be insufficient. And so they held still before the resurrection, and they decided to be defined by it rather than trying to define it. And so friends, I, I say all of that tonight in the hope that we would listen to this on Easter Day and that we would learn what it looks like to hope again in the midst of fear and trembling, that we would hold still before the resurrection and be defined by it rather than trying to define it. So friends, may we learn to hope again in the midst of fear as the first disciples did. May we hold still before Jesus' resurrection, not speak of it, 
and rather let it speak of us. May we cease our endless pursuit to know and rather come to be known in and by Jesus' resurrection. For it is there, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where the creator of the world took on the power of death in all its fullness by taking it upon himself. He really died. And as the death and darkness encountered the pure life and light of the Creator God, they were snuffed out. As death met pure life, it lost its grip on God's creation. Let us rejoice and dare to hold still before our crucified and resurrected God and to finally be truly known. Thanks, friends. Happy Easter. He is risen.